0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. <laughs> so, uh, like Kathy said, this is week two of Got Questions. Last week, Pastor Cameron and I responded to some of your questions on the, in the category of beliefs. You know, what the Bible says, what do we believe. Um, this week's category is Christian Living and yes, even politics. And uh, it's a special treat. Like Kathy said, all five members of the preaching team are going to respond to one question each. So five questions, five people, here we go. Lots of variety, lots of different voices for you this morning. And um, I don't think we've ever had all of us, at least when the team has been composed of these individuals, up here at once. So I'm going to take a minute to introduce you to them. Some of you know them very well. Some of you might be getting to know them for the first time. So Pastor Cameron... Is our missions pastor? <laughs> Very Superman movie. <maybe> step forward. <laughs> He's. This has been his church for 41 years. Yeah, he was our lead pastor for 23 of those 41 years until last summer when he handed it off to Mary Lee and I, um, and me. Grammar check. Where are you, Kirsten? Me. <laughs> me. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, When Cameron preaches, he brings a wealth of experience and wisdom. So that's something that he brings to the team. Next is Kathy. Oh, very good, very good. Very superhero of you also. Thank you. (laughs) No pressure, guys. (laughs) So Kathy serves in missions work, in women's ministry, healing and restoration. Kathy really does it all. She's such a support Um, to the church life here at New Day. She's been a part of this church family for 33 years. And uh, when she preaches, she brings a prophetic gift and a real depth of personal experience that I know you guys enjoy, and so do I. Next up is Peter. All right! That was a very super wave. (laughs) Peter serves as the tech team lead, along with Tori, his wife. He's a lay leader on the preaching team and writes on the pastor's blog, Um, He also leads a ministry called Worship Arts that Kathy was just talking to you about. They'll be here on Palm Sunday. He'll bring teams. Um, They um, train young people for Christian ministry and leadership, which is wonderful. New Day's been his church home for over 14 years, and he brings a high value for the Word of God and a contagious enthusiasm when he preaches. (laughs) And then uh, Marilee and I whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to prepare a pose. Um, we're your lead pastors. Uh, we've been a part of this church for 20 and 25 years. Um, we love bringing the word of the Lord, along with all the other things we do as your pastors. And it's really a pleasure to serve in this capacity of preaching the word of God with this team. It's a really good team. We've built a lot of cohesion over the last year or so, especially. And So it's cool to do this all together. We're excited about it, and I know you're going to have a blast this morning. Um, There's a lot of reasons to do a preaching team as opposed to hearing one voice every week. But some of the benefits are you get different styles and strengths and perspectives and personal experiences that you get to draw from instead of from one or two people from five, which is just awesome. So with that being said, and without further ado, let's go to our first question. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, Kathy is up first. Go for it, Kathy. Oh, you need this.
1: Yeah, I do. <laughs>
0: well, I might not need it, but probably a good idea.
1: So, I have the question how do you take head knowledge to make it heart knowledge? And it's a good question because having only head knowledge is not a good thing. Anybody know that? Um, The Pharisees really had an issue with this. (laughs) They were full of head knowledge, but their hearts were lacking. And they needed to take what God's truth was and really bring it to their heart. Because when your heart drives you, it drives your emotions, your mind, and your affections, right? And so we need to understand what the truth is, not only in our head, but we also need to have it in our heart. However, I have a little caveat, because I don't know who whose question this was or what they were referring to. Um, But the first thing I think you need to examine is whether or not what your head knowledge is is actually true. Um, Because like an example of this is what Pastor Cameron shared last Sunday. There was a lot of buzz about it, at least in our community group. And that is, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? And we learned last week that there's a flaw in that, that we think, People are good, and if you understand what the truth is, is that people are sinful and don't, aren't good, but God is so good that he has grace for us, then that's a little easier to digest to your heart. Does that make sense? And so um, we want to make sure that there's not a disconnect to be what you believe. So, um, and God's grace changes everything, Right? when we understand grace. And so if you have the correct knowledge, then what you should do to to really get this in your heart is first ask God, pray. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight, right? And so we can claim that verse and we can take what we've learned, if it's true, Ask God, okay, reveal that to my heart. Yet some people are going to say, well, that's really easy, Kathy, but I've done that and it doesn't work. <laughs> okay, fair enough. If you're, ha- you're still having a struggle, then what you might have is an issue in your heart that's keeping you from receiving that truth. And in our church, in New Day, we have a ministry called Healing and Restoration, where we teach, when we teach a lot of subjects on this. And we could do a whole series on this, but... I only get five minutes. So um, what you need to do is root out if there's something in your heart that's keeping you from believing the truth. Maybe you have an ungodly belief. Maybe you have a judgment. Maybe there's something that's blocking your heart from receiving that truth. And one of the, one, one of the ones that, that I believe is really difficult for people is God couldn't forgive me you know, because of what I've done. You know, I know we could forgive this person because they're good, (laughs) or that person because they're good, but not me. Well, there's a flawed thinking there, right? Because we're all not good. But the other thing is, when we don't receive that truth, I might be believing something that I'm a better judge of my heart than God is. And you see how there's there's a lie in there that I need to root out, so that I can believe the truth that I am forgiven, that I have been set free, that I don't have to live with shame the rest of my life. And then when you receive the truth in your heart, you meditate on it so that it becomes a part of you. Um, Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, isn't God's grace praiseworthy? Think about these things and put them into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And then the last thing to do is to experience that truth. When you see the truth in your life, when you see God's blessings or answered prayer, keep a journal then then remember those things because the testimony is powerful and it can set you free. Amen?
2: Well done, Kathy. All right. Well, I'm Cameron, glad to be here. <clears throat> the question is, how should Christians engage with politics? <clears throat> and uh Christians should engage with politics. You just shouldn't get married to them. The Bible is filled with politics. There's hardly a story in all of Scripture in which political issues are not in some way a factor. And in fact, in many passages, I would say most, and in many books, revolve around the political issues of that day you can't read scripture and not encounter political issues it's a constant uh uh, element within all of the stories joseph was sold as a slave right went to egypt but he ends up ruling the nation and completely transforming the economy of Egypt. Daniel is taken as a political refugee to Babylon, but he ends up one of the highest-ranking political officials in that pagan government. And God used him in that government. The prophets often prophesied not only to God's people, Israel, but to the other nations. I love the story of Jonah. Read it. The message of Jonah was how um, Jonah, as an individual, had to struggle with the message that God called him to deliver to a pagan nation that he didn't like. And so that you can see in that story the tension Of the prophets struggling with a gracious God communicating his goodness to a pagan nation. And Jonah struggling with it. He didn't want to go. And so you see that throughout Scripture, God, God's word is fully engaged with the politics. But he the scripture is very, very clear that God's people are not to make alliances with worldly powers, because when you make an alliance with a worldly power, it always leads to problems. When you uh, see in Scripture different nations, different people groups like the Egyptians or the Assyrians or Babylon, when you uh, read about the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Samaritans, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of those are different groups, uh, different groups separated by their political orientation as well as their cultural and religious uh, beliefs. But actually, much of it, if not most of it, were political. Pharisees and Sadducees were political parties as much as they were religious parties because they didn't have political parties, right? But people gained political power by aligning themselves with this group or that group. But Christ comes into the middle of that, and the gospel and the message of Scripture speaks a message in the middle of all of these contesting political powers. All right? In one sense, when you think of all those nations or people groups, they're like the political parties of our day. They weren't that much different. So the Bible and the gospel is inherently political, but it is never partisan. There's a huge distinction there, right? No political party, platform, candidate, or ideology fully or even adequately represents God. And as Christ followers, we're called to represent God. All right? All right? And you must be very, very careful to make sure the flow of influence is coming from God, Scripture, truth, and you're influencing the political uh, elements in your uh, community, your society, your world, your friends, and not being overly influenced by them. Scripture says, do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is, what does it say? you know this verse? No one knows this verse. Really. Psalm 146.3, do not put your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. No help. I don't care how how good that political candidate, party, platform, ideology looks. Bottom line, you're not going to get any help from them. Right zero. And so, be careful who you shake hands with. All right, don't make an alliance. The message of the Bible is meant to transform individuals, families, and communities, but never merely through political power. Christians, yes, we are to be engaged in politics in ways that enable us to influence our culture, uh, to preserve godliness. And to stand against and resist wicked influences. But we must be very, very careful not to be compromised. Because when you enter into an alliance, you automatically have to compromise. And so we stay engaged, but we are clear that we bring a message that's distinct. Um, Politics, all politics, the Constitution even... It's carnal. It's worldly. And the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. There you go. Hey,
0: okay, I will. Thank you. Okay, our next question. Great job, by the way. Our next question. Why do some sins and addictions take so long to get rid of? Isn't Jesus supposed to free us from those? Good question, right? I thought it was a good question. Was it? Do you think it's a good question? Okay, okay, just making sure you're still awake here. So uh, my first answer to this is God does miraculously heal people from addiction sometimes. Thank you, Lord, yeah. And I choose to pray for that when I pray. I choose to have faith for it to happen as I pray. Um, but like we talked about last week, if you were here... I pray, what did I say to do about uh, this tension of like praying with faith, but then sometimes we we don't see the answer to prayer we expect. I said, pray full of confident faith and submitted to God's will, right? So when it comes to uh, lingering sins or addictions, I'm going to pray full of confident faith for that person to be healed, but I'm going to be totally submitted to God's will and accept his sovereign decision in the matter. If he doesn't do it that way, that I think would be great right now. But I'm going to pray full of faith always leaning into that tension. So I may pray with somebody and celebrate next week, their appetite for alcohol is gone. Their appetite for pornography or the love of money or whatever it is, is just completely gone. Awesome. <laughs> or I might pray and have to keep praying and walking with that person through a journey as they slowly learn to live life free from a sin or an addiction. Um, in Christ. Either way, though, you know what? I'm in. I want to do that. (laughs) I want to pray for people and see them healed from addiction and sin on the spot. And I want to walk with people through life and keep praying for them through the thick and the thins, the ups and the downs, as they find freedom in God. So I want to take you to scripture on this topic briefly, as all of these topics are just touching on it. Um, I feel that God often does choose the slow journey to freedom when it comes to this, um, rather than the instantaneous healing. And there's a template for this in the Old Testament. Um, God's people, the nation of Israel, receive his promise for a land of their own, flowing with milk and honey, an amazing place to go and live, where they will experience immense blessing and be a blessing to all nations. You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head if you're tracking the promised land. Exodus 23, 29, and 30 says this. I will not drive them, this is the Lord speaking, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So what's the end goal of that scripture? To possess the land, right? Right? As we apply that template to this, it's total freedom from whatever sin or addiction is in your life. Possess the land, be free, and experience God's fullness. God wants you to possess the land in your life as you apply that template to whatever you're dealing with. Um, He has a place for you to inhabit where there's immense blessing and where you can be a blessing. You can live from a place of freedom and be a blessing to everyone you run into That's what he wants for you. A place where he's king, where the will of the king and the qualities of his kingdom have free and full reign. Qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the list of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way. Spoiler alert. That's what he has for you. A place full of that to live from. In order to possess the land and fill it with these qualities, the template that we read from Exodus says you must increase. If you do not have the increase to take possession, what would happen? Your heart would become desolate and the wild beasts would multiply against you. That's the principle we're learning from the verse in Exodus. So if God frees you instantly from an addiction, but you don't have the capacity to fill that gaping hole in your chest, ...with Him and the qualities of His kingdom, something else will fill it. Often, that means a new addiction. It might be a more socially acceptable one, but you still are obsessed, addicted, or controlled by something new... ...if it's not filled with God. You might trade something like drugs for an addiction to video games. You might trade alcoholism for an addiction to climbing the corporate ladder. You might trade an addiction to porn for an addiction to fitness... But it will still be an addiction nonetheless. And you won't have the fullness of the kingdom and his promise. Does that make sense? So when God heals people instantly, they, they might have, maybe he deems that they have the capacity, the increase to possess the land now. And so he releases it. I don't know. Maybe they find they have to fight some wild beasts because of that instant healing. And that might be a challenge. But I do know in many cases, God chooses this slow process Of becoming something. And he walks with you as you increase and possess more and more of the promised land. But it's still miraculous, whether it's fast or slow, in my opinion. (laughs) Being set free from addiction is a miraculous and gracious gift from God, either way. And our part of the partnership is to walk with him, make our home in him and in his word. That's how we increase. John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We abide in his word, and we become something. So he also sets us free unto something. He sets us free to become something. And actually, it's more accurate to say he sets us free to become someone. When the Spirit dwells in you, you begin to produce the fruit of transformation, the fruits of the Spirit that I mentioned earlier. So think of it like this. You produce love because you become loving like he is loving when you abide in him. You produce joy because you become joyful like he is joyful. I won't go through all nine of them. (laughs) But when you think about addictions and lingering sin, there's three that come to mind that are so important. As you journey with him, as you increase your capacity to possess the land, you produce patience. You become patient like he is patient as you wait for the fullness of the promise. You produce faithfulness because you become faithful in the process like he is faithful to you. And you produce self-control. You become self-controlled just like God is self-controlled. So wherever you're at on this question, if this is you and you're struggling with some things that you're, you haven't seen the fullness of the promise yet, partner with God in the process. Combine your willpower with his divine power to do as, what, as Paul says in Philippians uh, 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when you're down and time is tough and it's not a good day, week, or month, (laughs) remember what God said to Paul in 1 Corinthians when he asked to be free from the thorn in his flesh. We talked about that last week. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness.
3: I love this so much. um, oh. how, how do you repent from something you did one time a long time ago? Doesn't repentance refer to current, ongoing behaviors and attitudes? Okay, I love this question for so many reasons. Number one is because I just get to share a bunch of good news. <laughs> um, and it ends, this whole thing ends in salvation, which is just wonderful. Um, and, and two... Um, Praise the Lord for this question. Whoever asked this question wants to do what's right. <laughs> they want to repent. You know, they want to. They they want to, you know, do it the Lord's way. It's just wonderful. Um, you did something a long time ago, and you want to. Um, you want to cut ties with it. That is a godly desire, and that is wonderful. Um, it's it's important. We want to understand repentance. That's that's the key here. Um, and our language is fluid, and oftentimes we don't use words um, the same way that um, s- Scripture uses that same word. We might say the word "I." Oh man, I just have to come and I have to repent to you. Um, but that's not that's not the biblical use of the word repentance. Um, that's not what repentance means. Um, uh, repentance is different than. Confession and um, asking for forgiveness. Um, Because of that, you actually can't repent from something you did a long time ago. Um, Repentance is the Greek word in scripture. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which is compound word means change mind. So change your mind. You repent when your mind is changed. So that is what repentance is. Um, So it absolutely refers to where your heart's at right now. Like that's whether or not you've repented depends on whether your heart is pointing to the Lord right now, whether you're actually wanting to follow him, right? Or whether you're still chasing after the things of the world. Um, so repentance is not asking for forgiveness for specific sins. That's certainly something that you ought to do. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, don't, you know, no, <laughs> do all those things. Um, it's not repentance, right? And repentance isn't feeling sorry for something that you've done. Um, that, Once again, that's appropriate. That kind of sorrow is appropriate, um, but it's not repentance. Repentance has to do with a turning away and a turning to. Turning away from the things of the world and turning to the Lord. We see this in Acts 3 when um, uh, the apostle Peter stands up and says to the crowd, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out right? What is required for your sins to be blotted out? Do you have to make up for every single little sin that you've done in your life and go back and talk to every single person that you've wronged before your sins are blotted out? No. Praise the Lord. All you have to do is turn, change your heart, change your mind, and go to God. And you think, Ooh, I don't know that I can change my mind. Ooh, I don't know that I can change my heart. Correct. <laughs> Correct. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We need him. Um, <laughs> but this is so good. If we're walking with, um, walking with the Lord, we don't have to live in fear Amen. that there's a specific sin that we haven't dealt with yet that hasn't been blotted out, that we haven't confessed correctly. We haven't repented for correctly. Um, your sins will be blotted out if you repent. Um, and scripture says God doesn't wish that anyone would perish and that all would reach repentance. Repentance is the goal. Repentance is the journey, right? Um, and that's because God is after hearts and minds, right? He's not just after specific actions. He's not after specific behaviors. Um, and we see this, this call to repentance in 2 Chronicles when, um, when God speaks to his people. He says, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, right? That's what's required. I'm gonna hear and I'm gonna forgive and I'm gonna heal, right? That's that's what he says, right? So, what is that? Humble yourself and pray, seek God and turn from your wicked ways, right? That's a heart thing, right? That's that's repentance. Um, and there's a, an awesome Case study of this in in Corinthians. So Paul writes First um, Corinthians to the church in Corinth. who's dealing with a ton of stuff, and he gives them this super strong rebuke, for like just nails them, just brutal. Um, and then the church repents, and Paul writes another letter to the church, and this is what he says: "Bill, can you hit the switch? Sweet. Um, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I." I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. That's the destination. That's a place we can get to is repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. This (laughs) This next verse here shows us what a heart of repentance looks like. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. What is repentance? Repentance is eagerness to clear yourself, earnestness, indignation, alarm, longing, concern, and readiness to see justice done, right? Like that, those heart postures is what we need to turn to. In order to repent, that's a description of a changed heart. So the very fact that I'm speaking to the person who wrote this, that you are wanting to walk away from that thing, that you have an earnestness to clear yourself, right? And that you have a, a desire and a readiness to see justice done in this longing. That means you have reached repentance. That's wonderful. <laughs> you have reached repentance. There. Now, if you're still dealing with the shame, there may be more steps that you need to take, right? <laughs> but that's, that's what this repentance leads you to. All of these, this longing, repentance is a longing for, for the things of the Lord. Repentance makes you want to seek forgiveness from those you've wronged, right? Repentance makes you want to set things right. And it makes you want to seek the Lord's face, to seek the Lord's voice, even about those things of your past. You want to hear, God, I want to know what you think about this so I can know the truth, so I can really be free. So repentance is the door to all of that, and that's the first step. So um, whoever wrote this, you're there. Praise the Lord. <laughs> all right.
4: Thank you. Peter. Okay. So the next question. Why can't I hear God's voice like all these other people? What's wrong with me? So my first reaction to this question is compassion for their discouragement. (laughs) And um, so it's hard that you're not standing in front of me to have this conversation. Um, But my hope is that what I share with you will bring um, encouragement and hope. Okay, so let's start in John 10. So... In John 10, Jesus describes himself as the shepherd and as anyone who believes in him, they are his sheep. And it says, starting in verse, I'm just going to read portions of chapter 10. He, Jesus, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So this is our foundation. If you're a believer, if you're a sheep of the shepherd, you can hear his voice. So we can trust, I believe your word that I'm your sheep and so you're speaking. So that's our foundation. And then I also want to point out as I was studying the Bible in um, the purpose, why does he speak to us? Three purposes jumped out at me that I want to also lay the foundation with. The first is to foster connection. He speaks to you to foster connection right there in verse 14, when he says, I know my sheep it's a, it's a bond, it's a mutual knowing, just like him and the Father. And so that is one purpose. Really, that's the point of the whole Bible, relationship with the ones he created. And communication is a big part of that. Purpose number two for him speaking is to give direction. So often he's speaking to give instruction or warning or letting you know what's coming. And so when he speaks in that way, our posture should be unto obedience ready to obey whatever he's saying. One uh, scripture example of this is Hebrews 3. You can read the whole chapter later. Um, but it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So, so when you hear his voice, don't respond with disobedience like some of the Israelites did who came out of Egypt. Okay, So he speaks to us And we obey. And the third purpose is to give us what we need for the moment. I'm reading through the New Testament. It's constantly saying, and -and so-and-so full of the Holy Spirit did such and such, stood up and addressed, you know, the answer to a question or preached a sermon. So it's like the Holy Spirit would speak and give the person what you need for the moment. And he still speaks that way to equip us for the moment. I also notice in this verse, there's a comparison going on, right? Talking about other people. Oh, thank you. In this this question, that's not a Bible verse on the screen. In this question, there's some comparison. And so I would encourage you, don't compare yourself with other people because then you may discount how he's speaking to you If you've glorified how he's speaking to someone else, you might discount how he's speaking to you. Go ahead and learn from their experiences, right? That's super valuable. Um, But press into how he's speaking to you and the way he's speaking to you. And he he speaks to us in a variety of ways, right? If there was only one way he speaks to us, then you could ask this question. (laughs) But there's not. There's so many. If you just take... Genesis 15 through 17, God speaks to Abram through a vision, then a dream, then appears to him in form and speaks to him. And that's just, you know, one small section. He speaks to Elijah in a still small voice. He speaks to the Israelites out of the pillar of cloud that guided them by day. He, uh, and, and then we have many angel appearances, right? In the Bible, his, The voice of Jesus speaks to Saul after he's been blinded by a light from heaven. There's many accounts of visions and people um, just bringing scripture that as the Bible goes further along, they bring up scripture from the past and God is speaking to them through that. There's so many ways. He can speak to us through another person. They may give you encouragement, and that is from the Lord. That is God's heart to encourage you in that moment, or a word of knowledge, or a prophetic word. Um, He often speaks um, when I when I meet with people for healing and restoration. And Kathy talked about this. And you um, like trade, you know that say you're believing in ungodly belief, and you renounce, you break agreement with it. Like Peter said, you change your mind. Well, then you say, God, what's the truth? And he inhabits that place, like Bill was talking about. He inhabits that place with new truth and fills up that space. And so we listen and we say, God, what's your truth? What do you want to say? And I would say the most common three ways that I see is he'll bring up Scripture, and someone will just have a verse or two or a passage or a story, and or they will have a picture, especially... Um, If someone's very visually oriented, God will give them like an image in their mind's eye and reveal something to them through like a scene playing out. Um, And then also, uh, this is super common, people will just have a word like, okay, God, what do you want to say? What's your truth? And they'll tell me hope, holiness. They'll have these words. And then everything is um, submitted to scripture. Okay, so there's all these words, and he gives, often the Holy Spirit speaks through giving you a sense or like um, an impression on your heart. Romans 8.16 talks about how the Spirit will confirm through impressions as he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it'll be kind of this impression on your heart. Um, But as sheep, we all can grow at getting better at being attuned to his voice and differentiating it from other voices. I know I can pick out my daughter's voice or her scream or her tone when, you know, there's so many other sounds going on, and I happen to be practically deaf in one ear. But I can hear her, and I know it's her voice. How many of you can relate to that, someone where you can, like, That is how we can grow with attuning ourselves to God's voice, and we can practice this. And you you practice by submitting it to scripture. Um, I'm briefly answering this question today. There's great books that you can learn more about this. One is Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice by Mark Berkler, um, that you can can study more on this. But I also want to say, especially if you're a type A person, relax. I'm talking myself too here, right? Because he will confirm it. He will, he'll speak to you, but he'll confirm it through your Bible reading the next day, through the sermon next Sunday, through a prayer someone prays over you next time you receive prayer. He's going to confirm it so you can relax. So if you feel like, oh, I really feel like he's speaking this, acknowledge it, set it on the shelf right here and trust that he's going to confirm it if that's him and that there's something that he wants you to do. Sometimes he doesn't want you to do anything. He just wants you to be aware because he's in a relationship with you. So he's just telling you something he wants you to know that's coming up. But he will confirm it two ways I want to point out that he'll confirm through the word of God, okay? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, to joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Spirit will take the sword of the word and speak powerfully and effectively into our lives. The second way he'll confirm is through godly counsel, and God really encourages us to get godly counsel. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. Okay, so if we think we heard God's voice, is this verse saying we should just ask one person? No, wisdom here is an abundance of counselors, right? Because they're human too, and so it's really good. Get counsel from someone who is experienced in hearing God's voice, who knows the scripture really well, who's um, someone who is full of like sacrificial love and faith. These are the kind of people that it'd be great to ask, ask more than one person, because you know they love you and they love the Lord. And maybe you are hearing God's voice and you're just thinking it's not. And so they can like encourage you and go, well, you know, I really think that does sound like him. That sounds like something that he said right here to this person in the Bible. And that can be so helpful. Another point, because I don't know what blockage that this, person is dealing with, because there could be so many different things. Um, but the prayer can be, well, I believe that you speak. I'm your sheep. And so what's keeping me? What's hindering me? And, and whatever it is, he can walk you through that. But one potential blockage could be um, being afraid of getting it wrong, Okay, so I want to talk about the difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of getting it wrong. Okay, so afraid of getting it wrong, you run away. Okay, I'm, I'm scared. I'm getting out of here. That's what you do. But fear of the Lord draws you toward the Lord on bended knee in submission, in reverence and awe and honor and say, God, I'm here. I'm your child. Is this you? So that is the difference. But if someone's afraid of getting it wrong, they can disengage from this aspect of the personal relationship that God would like to have with you. Don't, let's not do that. Let's not disengage from that. Amen. All right. So to wrap up my little question with humility, let's use every instrument God has supplied to hear his voice. Looking forward, what he, with looking forward to what he has to say in order to deepen our bond with him, to obey his direction, or receive what we need for the moment, knowing that it's likely going to be a little different than the way he speaks to the person next to us.
1: So can you go back through the questions real quick? So um, as I was praying about ending the service this morning, I just wanted to, um, you know, encourage you that if one of these questions is yours, you heard a short sermonette on how to apply it, but you need to go and search the scriptures and pray and use this for yourself. And so, you know, if you're struggling with how to take head knowledge and put it into your heart, you need to go and ask those questions. Search out the scriptures and, and ask the Lord. And then, you know, you should engage in politics. If that's something you've been like, ooh, I don't want to be a part of that, you need to engage. And if you've been super partisan, you need to back up and say, wait a second, maybe I need to recheck myself. If, if you are struggling with some kind of addiction or sin, then you need to ask God, like, how am I, what's my path? He might only give you the next step. He might not show you the promised land, but he might give you the next step. And you need to engage with that. And then um, repent. If you're not a believer, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you have access to the Father, you need to do that today. You need to do that today. If you believe that, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Father, forgive me. I want to turn and follow you. And then you have the opportunity to hear his voice and, and engage in that. So I just felt like, you know, it's so easy to listen to the message and leave and forget about it. But there's something for every person here today. So we're going to just take a moment and ask God. And, and if you're not clear on hearing his voice, whatever you're resonating with right now, not lunch. Whatever's resonating in your head about what we just went through, that is the thing. And I want you to, I mean, take out your phone after we pray. Take out your phone and make a note. And then go home and and search that. And really take the time with the Lord. That's how you build relationship with him. Amen? So let's do that right now. Father, I just ask right now that you would just give each person Whatever, whatever, like, really hit their heart, whatever they, like, wait, I want to know more, reveal that right now. And Father, you are a good Father, and you do not give us a stone when we ask for bread. You give us the desires, especially those that are coming from you, Whatever it is that we're that's tugging at our heart today, you want to engage with us. So Father, I just ask you reveal it to us and that we would be faithful to seek you
0: in Jesus' name. Amen.